The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. All right, if you would open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We are going verse by verse through the book of Exodus. And now we've pushed pause in chapter 20 and we're doing a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments. Most of us have probably heard the Ten Commandments sometime in our past. I bet you... Nine out of 10 of us, if I cornered you right now and said, what were the 10 commandments? You could give me five or six of them. I doubt very many of you. I know there's some of you that can, could give us all 10, right? But we are going verse by, or we're working through these commandments. We are in the fourth commandment this week. It is the commandment to Sabbath. There is all kinds of confusion around this text. I am not going to answer all your questions this morning. Every other one, every, all the other commandments, all nine of the other commandments basically are reiterated in the New Testament very explicitly. And the Sabbath commandment is not reiterated explicitly in the New Testament, though we can infer some of its principles. And so I'm going to walk lightly in this text, but I'm going to try to open our eyes to understand the Sabbath, what it is, what was the heart of it, and do we still practice it today? What is it? Et cetera, et cetera. Now, I want to begin by kind of saying, why the heck should you care about it, okay? Because I think probably right now, some of you are like, I came on the wrong week, All right? Now listen, 
I think, honestly, this sermon might be the most important sermon I give in the Ten Commandments. I say that for several reasons. First, this commandment, more than any other, shows us the fatherly heart of God. It shows us how kind he is and how gracious he is to us as his people, that he knows our frame, he knows how we're built, he knows what will make us happy, and he literally commands us to rest and enjoy him, right? Like any parent, we want our kids to have enjoyable experiences, we want our kids to be happy, and sometimes we even command them to be happy. You probably did it yesterday. Get in the backyard and have fun right? You probably did it yesterday. I know I did it. And secondly, the sermon is important because most of us are slaves to our hustle. We find our justification for living in our productivity. Our identities are built upon the crumbling bedrock of our achievements And so we're always looking for the next one to add to our foundation to build our lives and our identities on. We always, we want more and more achievement, more and more success, more and more things to say, look at that, that tells me I'm a good and successful person. According to the most recent Barna study, only 14% of Americans set aside a day of rest. And most of them still find some work to do on that day. It is no wonder we are so stressed out, anxious, and prone to self-medicate through drugs and alcohol and prescription pills and escapist behaviors such as pornography and binging Netflix. And lastly, for those of us who are Christians and who want others to see the beauty of Christianity and the goodness of our Savior, there may be no greater apologetic for the gospel than what we're going to learn today in the fourth commandment. To put it simply this morning, and here's where we're going, and here's the overall main, the main thing I'm going to try to say today is this. Christians keep a Sabbath day in order to keep a Sabbath heart. Christians keep a Sabbath day in order to keep a Sabbath heart. And people with a Sabbath heart are a wonderful picture of the gospel in our society. Let me tell you, one of the strangest and most appealing things in our day and age is a person who is settled, peaceful, and wise in the midst of a culture that seems to be running around all the time with their hair on fire. A person who doesn't get defensive when critiqued. A person who has a calm, prophetic presence about them, who knows God intimately and knows themselves as well, and they've got nothing to prove to anyone. Understanding the Sabbath and experiencing the Sabbath can make you that type of person. And it's my prayer this morning that we would experience this power this morning. Let's get into our text. Genesis chapter 20, verse 8. Remember 
the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All right? Now, first off, what is the Sabbath? Sabbath literally comes from a Hebrew word that means to stop or to cease from working. It means to rest, okay? That's what Sabbath means. It means to rest. And God says this, first things first, remember the Sabbath. Now, this is kind of like remembering your anniversary, okay? It, it means more than just you didn't forget about it. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know all about that, right? No, no. To remember your anniversary means you did something, right? You got flowers, you got the card, you bought something for your wife, you went out to eat. Remembering the Sabbath means more than just, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. It means I should actually do that and I should take, what we're going to see here, a day of rest every single week to rest from all my working, all my laboring, all my striving. And this isn't just take a day of rest. He says, remember the Sabbath and what? Keep it holy. Keep it holy. That means the Sabbath and this, and this time, the Saturday is set apart as a special day, a day that's to the Lord or for the Lord, all right? And the God's people, the Israelites here, are supposed to stop working on this day and do something different. This day should look different than the other six days a week, and this day should look different, and there should be a certain type of resting from all their labors. Now, this is going to show us a couple things that's pretty important. God isn't saying just take a break, take a nap. On the seventh day, lay in your bed, don't get out. Some of you were like, yes, right? You had a hard time getting here this morning. You're used to waking up at the crack of noon. And now, you know, Sunday morning's really difficult for you. That's not what God's saying here. God's saying the Saturday Sabbath is meant to be a God-centered rest, okay? A God-centered rest. And this is gonna show us a couple things. What God is getting at here isn't just everybody needs rest, okay? He's getting at something deeper. Now, let me, let me explain it like this. There's the work that we do, whatever that work is. You're a homemaker, you're an engineer, you're a pastor, uh, you're a salesman, you, you're, you're a writer. There's the work that we do. Now, we all get tired from the work that we do, right? You're, you're using mental energy every day, and you get tired from that work. You're in relationships, and you're trying to convince people of something. You're leading people. You get tired. Now, that type of work, typically a rest, a day off, a vacation, you'll come back satisfied. You'll come back rested, rejuvenated, ready to work again. But there's another type of work that the Sabbath is strictly and also, let's just say, also addressing, and it's this, I'm going to call it this, it's the work under our work. It's the work under our work. See, work makes our bodies and minds tired, but the work under the work is the work, is the, let me just say it like this, it's the religious nature of our work, okay? You know the word voc vocation comes from uh, the Latin word voca, which means to call, like many, back in the day, you were called to be a cobbler. You were called to be a barber. The people saw a calling from God on whatever it is that they did. And there's this religious 
nature to our work. And this is what this religious nature does. This religious nature is what kind of zaps our soul. It's the work that we're doing constantly, look, to prove ourselves. So you know, if you're a salesman or a saleswoman, you sell X amount, right? Woo, maybe you were the top salesman. This, that's great. Except now what, what happens? Here was the bar, and now next quarter, the bar goes up. And now you all of a sudden, you feel this pressure, not just to do the work, but you're doing work under the work. You have to prove that you've still got it. You have to prove that you can do better than you did last quarter or, or last year. And there's this constant pressure upon our souls to prove that we're worth it, to prove that we're good enough, to prove ourselves. And this work under the work, the Sabbath is trying to get in and readdress and address and reshape our souls in a very profound way. See, what happens, I, I told you when we first started this series, that if you break the first commandment, you're going to break the other commandments. And nobody breaks the other commandments until they first break the first commandment. And this is what happens. Many of us, because of this religious nature of our work, that in our efforts and in our, even our good work, we turn it into kind of this religious thing where we're trying to prove ourselves. Well, what happens is we end up making a God, little g, out of our work. Our work becomes our God who we run to when we need a daily dose of meaning or significance. See, we use our careers to create our identities that we're meant to get from God. So if we feel like a failure at home, we spend more time at the office where we get some attaboys or girls. We, we, we feel like we're somebody powerful and successful at the office. And you can take a day off from your work, but you can't take a day off from the work under the work. And you know this. If you're like this, if you got this work under the work, you take a day off, but what do you do? You check the email, right? You, you oh, hold on, I, I gotta make this one phone call real quick. You keep the cell phone on so your employees or your employer or whoever it is can get a hold of you just in case the entire organization is going to collapse without your involvement in that moment, right? So we bring our work home and we kind of feel, so we're resting, but we're not resting, right? We're at home and we're off the clock, but our minds are still struggling. And if you've ever, if you're this type of person and you've ever taken a vacation, actually, you've ever taken an extended vacation, at least two weeks, you know how jacked up you are. You know it. About day six, you start getting a twitch. You start thinking about going back to work. You start thinking about your life like, you start measuring your whole life. Like on day seven or eight of your vacation, you start thinking about, am I really measuring up? What have I done with my life? I can't believe I'm not farther along. And there's this pressure when you actually take a break and take some time off. All of a sudden, all of this weight comes collapsing in on you because you've been wor the work under the work of constantly trying to prove yourself and you stay kind of distracted by being in it every day. You pull out of it for a while and all of a sudden this weight comes collapsing down on you. See, a day off won't heal your busy soul. If you want your soul to rest, you're going to have to learn to find this rest 
from the work that's under your work. And that can only happen if you understand how to keep the Sabbath holy. And I pray that we're going to be able to see that and learn that this morning. Now, let's, let's keep reading here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now here, since I did, I already talked about the idol of work, some of us also have an idol of comfort, okay? And for those of us who, you know, we, we, re- we read the book, you know, four-hour work week, and we actually think that's possible, and we think, I just want to get paid for being on Facebook all the day. Is there a job that does that? Right? We need to see that here's God's plan for his people. Work six days, rest one day. All right? So our, our, hopefully we can get that in our mind. Now, it doesn't have to be all working at the job. For me personally, I work on the ministry. I work in the church here five days a week. I take one day to work on my house, to work on my home, to mow the grass and fix, do the chores and do all that kind of stuff. So I'm working six days and I take, and I'm working today actually, and I take one day off, my day off, my sat, what I call my Sabbath is on Friday. My Friday is when I don't answer emails. My Friday is when I don't do the work and I just enjoy God. Now I'm going to keep going. So here's what God says. Here's the principle. Work six days, rest one day. All right. Now this is where we need to remember how sweet and kind and gentle of a commandment this is from God. The people of Israel had just been delivered out of Egypt where they had spent their entire lives in slavery to Pharaoh. They had grown up in a culture that demanded their absolute allegiance and therefore they were forced to work every single day of every week of the year to keep the nation's economy afloat. Pharaoh had things to build and he used this slave labor force to accomplish that. And so they could not rest. They could not take a day off. He was a ruthless taskmaster never giving the people of Israel a day off. But look, God is showing us he's different. He's adopted these people. He's brought these people into his family and he's a different type of master. He's a good father who says, to worship me, you must take a day off. You must slow down and step out of the rat race and unplug from your pursuit of economic advancement. God says your hustle must stop one day a week and you need to Sabbath. And this was good news to them. This was good news to them. It's it's so hard for us to put ourselves in this position because we've all grown up, most of us probably, in this society where we get two days off a week, technically. Many of us bring our work home with us. Two days off a week. And honestly, the reason we have two days off a week is because there was an argument over the Sabbath. So we kind of thank God for his, you know, not clarity regarding the Sabbath here. Uh, And we'll get to that in a little bit. They had spent their entire lives building their identities on how many bricks they could build in a week. How many, what was their output this week? Some of us, you have jobs like that. How many emails did you send? How many phone calls did you call? How many prospects did you land? How many new customers have you gotten? How many new, some of you have those jobs where you literally define, you have to kind of measure yourself and define yourself and prove yourself by your numbers. It's exhausting, you know it is. These guys, seven days a week, all their life all they've known. 
And now, this is pretty cool. God knows they need to learn a new rhythm. They need to step out of this workaholism. They need to step into something new. They need to learn how to rest and how to enjoy him. But he also knows how difficult this is going to be to change. Look, Look at the next. So let me just say this. The Sabbath, out of all 10 commandments, it gets the most biblical real estate, okay? We don't have just keep the Sabbath holy, move on to the next one, like don't murder, right? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, move on to the next one. The Sabbath, we have keep the, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, and then we have some explaining to do. Why? Because God knew how difficult it was going to be for these people to actually step out of the slavery to the work under the work. Just because they no longer had Pharaoh whipping their back, they still had an inner Pharaoh. They still had something inside of them that said, prove yourself by how much you can produce every single week. Work seven days a week. They still had something, and so they needed some stipulations. And look what some of these stipulations are. The seventh day, verse 10. No, let me go to verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, okay? But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Just in case you didn't understand the first part, he reiterates it on the seventh day, you don't do your work. Now listen, this is your normal work. Obviously, I mean, I'm not going to get into it all. I can't get into all that right now. Let me, let me go on. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, so your employees or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, this is interesting here. God knows the frame of, of his people. He knows they're workaholics and they want to produce. So you know what they're going to do? If I say take a day off and rest, they'll be like, all right, this is dad's Sabbath. Kids, get out in the field right? Workers, get out in the field. Many commentators say this is the first bill of rights, bill of workers' rights in the history of the the world, that God is saying, no, no, you take a Sabbath, your kids take a Sabbath, your animals take a Sabbath, like he's not going to, you know, you can't just rig something up that puts like an apple in front of your ox to make your ox like keep working while you're out, while you're in the house chilling out, right? He says, no, everybody must take a Sabbath to the Lord, okay? Let's keep reading. For in six days, now this is interesting. God is anchoring this commandment. He's not, it's just not common sense. Like don't murder, common sense, right? Don't commit adultery. It's not that common these days, but common sense. But this command, he's going to root into something unique. Now let's see what he roots it in. Look at this. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested, God rested on the seventh day. Now this is important. God anchors this commandment in creation. There are aspects of this commandment, okay, that we're gonna get into. There's aspects of this commandment that no longer apply to us, okay? I'm gonna say this, and and it's really difficult without a really super, super long sermon. So let me just say this. The law that is given to Moses, okay? There are moral, the 10 commandments, I believe, are all moral commandments. It's the moral law, it's universal, okay? 
Then there's civil laws. At this time, Moses is creating a nation, a nation of Israel. So there's some civil laws in there. We're no longer living under the nation of Israel, so we no longer follow the civil laws of Israel. And there's also some ceremonial law, some ceremonial rules inside this covenant. We, do no, we no longer follow those ceremonial rules either because they have been fulfilled by Jesus. And I'll kind of get to it in the future, but I just want to lay that out for us really quick. There's some things here that we follow and that are universal because he anchors it in creation, okay? It's not anchored in the Mosaic covenant, which is happening here for the people of Israel. All right, I'm said that and I keep moving. So God says this, you are to rest one day a week and worship me because I did it in creation. This is how I made the world. I made everything in six days and I took a day off. And as my son used to say, God took a day off and enjoyed the sun. That's what he did on the seventh day. Now, from this, we get some really important principles for Sabbath keeping. First, God didn't rest because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. That means the Sabbath isn't just something for people to do once they hit the wall. I'm really exhausted. I need to go to church. I need to take a day off. No, no, no. God rested and he wasn't tired. God can't get tired. Secondly, this also means the Sabbath isn't just about the pragmatic response we get from it. It's not just about rest and recuperation so we can go back to work more energized, okay? That's not the reason he gives this commandment. God didn't need a break on Saturday to get rejuvenated to go finish his to-do list on Sunday, right? He didn't need that at all. The Sabbath, here it is, is primarily designed to help people become spiritually stronger and closer to God. The Sabbath is primarily designed for people to become spiritually stronger and closer to God. The physical rest and the recuperation is only a byproduct, a good byproduct, but it's just a byproduct. Now, why, so why does God take a Sabbath? God took a Sabbath to, cre- to teach us how to take a Sabbath right? God created a rhythm that he wants us to follow. Now, what's the purpose? Why, what's the purpose of working six days and taking one day off? Well, first off, we are created in the image of God. That means we're made to mirror him. We're made to, to follow his way of living, to follow his obedience, to follow his way of life. We see this perfectly in Jesus, And this is kind of like what God does here. He's not tired, but he takes a rest. This is like a parent who has an exhausted toddler who will not take a nap. And they scoop her up or scoop him up and they lay down beside him. And what? They help her fall. They fall, sometimes they fall asleep together, whatever. But to get this baby to sleep, the parent lays down by this exhausted, overtired baby to get them to rest. This is what God's doing. God is laying down and resting to create a rhythm for us to follow. Now, what does this rhythm do? This is what this rhythm does. Number one, every single week, we are to be reminded that we need a break and we're not God. We are created and therefore we need rest. And we learn this. We we do it every night for one. We go to sleep and the world keeps turning because God doesn't sleep. 
we take a break because God, nev- God doesn't take a break anymore. He set this rhythm for us in creation, but he never rests because he never gets tired and he's always working. So there's something really weird and really unique here that God tells us to mimic him by resting, to teach us we're not him. Now, most of us kind of blow that off and we're like, who thinks they're God? You have a teenage kid. He's out past curfew. You've texted three times, no response. What's your response, mom? Right? Anxiety starts rising. All, every circumstance that could possibly have happened starts going through your head. What are you doing right now? You're testing your omniscience. Right, you're, you're, you're sending out waves through the universe and you're feeling he's in a ditch right now. He's in a ditch. I can tell he's in a ditch somewhere, right? And you're putting pressure on your soul. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Right, what is this? You, you're, you, you're, your God-like nature, right, is rising up in you and you're wanting to be omniscient. You're wanting to know all things. You're wanting to be omnipresent. Where's he at right now? Where's he at, right? You're wanting to be omnipresent. This is who thinks they're God. We're all tested, right? We're all tested. We're all tempted in these ways. We want to be everywhere all at the same time. We want to, to be worshiped in a sense. We want to be heroes and people to look at us and go, wow, there's something special about that person. We're wanting to be God. And we need on a weekly basis to step out of that and be reminded I'm not God and I wasn't created to be God and I'm dependent upon him and I need rest And I need to refocus my life. And so the Sabbath commands us to mimic God to remember that we aren't him. Now, so first off, Moses roots this in creation. But in Deuteronomy 5, Moses does something different. He gives a different reason for the Sabbath. And I have the scripture, if you can put it up on the screen. In verse 15, he says this, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, okay? So in Exodus 20, God says the Sabbath is rooted in creation. It's to remind us that we are not God, even though we're called to imitate him by resting one day a week. But in Deuteronomy 5, God says the Sabbath is also rooted in your salvation. God says the Sabbath is a time to look back at, yes, you're a created person who needs the rhythms of work and rest, but listen, it's also to point back towards your salvation. God is saying, I've given you the Sabbath. Do you remember the Red Sea? Think about that. Do you remember what I did at the Red Sea? Do you remember what you did at the Red Sea? Here's what I did. I called the greatest military force in history into my own booby trap. I called them into the Red Sea. I opened it wide. You stood there and went, whoa. That's what you did. You freaked out. 
I opened it up. I, you remember what else you did? You obeyed me and then just walked through. And then you got to the other side and saw the bad guys coming and you got afraid. And what did I do? God is reminding them of his grace. What is grace? They did nothing in their salvation. They did nothing to earn it. They did nothing to merit it. It was all a work of grace. God delivered them by his own powerful right hand. All they did was stand there and watch it happen. And so we have this Sabbath principle that does two things. It roots us back to how we were made. We're created by God, but it also roots us into salvation by grace, not of our own works. Okay? It's meant to do these two things. It's calling us here to a physical rest, but also a deep soul rest. And the scripture says here, as we continue to read, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This means that God made Saturday special. Everybody said amen. Amen. College football, that's why we, no, no, sorry. He blessed it and he made it holy. That means he made it separate and distinct for his own purposes. And I love that he put these two words together, right? He blessed it. That's where we get a word happy from. He blessed it and he made it holy. That our holiness and our happiness were meant to go together. And Saturday was meant to be a day that it makes us happy and it also improves our holiness in some way. We find our greatest joys in the greatest joy, God. We find our greatest rest in the source of our rest, God. That means that the Saturday Sabbath that God instituted in creation and set as law in Exodus is to be a day that promotes both our holiness and our happiness. It's to be a day where we worship the Lord our God and find our rest from our rest from all of our labors, all of our workings, that our souls abide in, a, in this deep rest. And then later on, Isaiah even says that the Sabbath is meant to be a delight for God's people. But humans have a way with rules. And I didn't want to get into it too much in the beginning of this, but as soon as you say, you can't, don't work on the Sabbath, rest, immediately we're like, well, what's work? Right? And then there could be like, is brushing my teeth a work? Let's just say no, it's not. Keep that one up, Right? Is taking a bath? No, we're good there. Let's keep... No, but really, what is work? Now, this caused God's people to go crazy over this rule, all right? They, they kind of went nuts over this. So they said, all right, you can take a walk that's like two miles long, but if you go past two miles, you're breaking the commandment. They didn't have any, you know, direct revelation from God. They just felt like, eh, two, two miles, that's a walk. 2.1, that's work. We're cutting it off right there. Right? And they had all these weird rules that they added to the Sabbath. And so by the time that you get to Jesus, 
they had turned the Sabbath, which is meant to be for our good and our joy, they had turned it into a cold, oppressive, lifeless cage that literally would squeeze the joy out of, out of its original intent. Can you imagine just little people walking around all the time just picking on people about their Sabbath, right? Hey, I saw your goat out last night. What the heck's up with that? Sabbath breaker, right? Hey, how far you walk today, right? Let me see your eye watch. Let me see. How many steps? How many steps? Right? Just legalistic, cold, nitpicky. They had a long list of everything you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. But here's the reality. They had lost the heart of the Sabbath. They were kind of keeping the rules, but they lost the heart. And by the time of Jesus, when Jesus walks onto the scene, Jesus provokes these religious leaders. Jesus annihilates nitpickers, right? I just love it. One time, you couldn't, you couldn't go out and harvest anything during the Sabbath. And one time, Jesus' disciples, who evidently picked up Jesus' understanding of the heart of, uh, of the Sabbath, one day in Mark 12, they're walking through and they're running their hands through wheat and they're kind of harvesting wheat and they're popping it in their mouth and they're eating it. And these religious leaders are watching from the sidelines. And they're going, what? Jesus, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. Nitpickers. And Jesus gives this kind of in-depth theological answer to basically tell them, you don't understand the Sabbath, fools. You don't understand the heart of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, Jesus says, is about mercy, not sacrifice. And he says, you know what? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now that is just a cool name. He's saying, I'm King Sabbath, right? I am God over the Sabbath. He says it over and over. And then he says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That means God didn't make this rule and then try to shove man into it. He looked at man and said, you know what you need? You need a Sabbath, right? The Sabbath was made to serve us. The Sabbath was made for our good, okay? And so so Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm over the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is for your good. It's not meant to be a burden. And so, We see a couple things here. We see Jesus over the Sabbath. Jesus in charge of the Sabbath. Jesus is going to help us direct and understand the Sabbath. But we also see that the religious leaders of Jesus' day kept the Sabbath without a Sabbath heart. And the goal of the Sabbath is for us to have a Sabbath day, but also to have a Sabbath heart, to be at rest, to enjoy it. Okay, now listen. This is where things get a little tricky. Okay? What happened to the Saturday Sabbath. Is the fourth commandment still a rule for us as Christians to follow? Why is it that we worship on Sundays and not Saturdays like the people of Israel do and Seventh-day Adventists do? What happened here? 
Let me go through and answer these real quick. What happened to the Saturday Sabbath? This is what happened to the Saturday Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath was crucified and buried on Friday afternoon, right before the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was Friday night, the Jewish reckoning of time, Friday night or Friday evening to Saturday evening. That was the Sabbath. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, was crucified on Friday early afternoon, was buried, put in a tomb, spent the entire Saturday Sabbath in a tomb, dead. And then the day after the Sabbath, on Sunday morning, Jesus Christ proved that he was the Son of God and he was resurrected to new life. Okay? And so what happened to the Saturday Sabbath is the Saturday Sabbath was buried with Jesus and it rose again to something new and unique that the authors of the New Testament began calling it the Lord's Day. Jesus was resurrected on the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. That Sunday, all four gospel writers tell us that. Revelation chapter one says, on the Lord's Day, I was caught up and saw this vision. We see this new term called the Lord's Day. Now listen, this is interesting to me. As the old Sabbath was rooted in creation. Remember we said there's a piece of it that goes on. Well, what piece goes on? Six days off, one day on. Or six days on, one day off. Six days on, one day off. That goes with us forever. But the day has changed on the first day of new creation. What is new creation? So many people think that Christianity is about dying and then being resurrected to like a ghost like a being, like your spirits just come alive. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Christians will get a new physical body that you can touch and see and feel. It's a completely new body. It's day one, the resurrection of Jesus was day one of new creation. Everything that's broken being restored and made new. And so as the Sabbath was instituted on, the Saturday Sabbath was instituted on creation, the Sunday, Lord's Day Sabbath was instituted on the first day of new creation, the resurrection of Jesus. And the the first Christians saw the resurrection of Jesus as so revolutionary, listen to this, they stopped celebrating the Sabbath on Saturday, which they had done for 1,500 years. Every Saturday, they worshiped the Lord on Saturday. Every Sabbath, every Saturday, they worshiped the Lord. 1,500 years of tradition, and these Jewish believers all of a sudden said, that's done with. We're gonna worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And we see this in Acts chapter 20, verse seven, 1 Corinthians 16, two. And then we have the evidence from church history. Let me... I've got a quote on the screen. Let me read it to you. St. Ignatius of Antioch, he was the third bishop of Antioch. He wrote to the Magnesians in 107 AD. So really the first generation after the death of Jesus, okay? And this is what he said. If then those who had walked in ancient practices attained unto newness of hope, look, no longer observing Sabbaths, but fashioning their lives after the Lord's day, 
on which our life also arose through him and through his death, which so many deny, a mystery whereby we attained unto belief. And for this cause we endure patiently that we we may be found disciples of Jesus Christ, our only teacher. Now, what does that mean? That means Jesus has fulfilled and transformed the Sabbath for us. We worship on the Lord's day because we look to Jesus who has saved us from our oppressors. We don't need to look back at the Red Sea. We look to the cross of Jesus Christ and at his resurrection. We too were slaves. We're slaves to sin. We're still sometimes slaves to our job and slaves to the work under the work, always trying to prove ourselves. And we look to the cross and resurrection as the nail in that coffin that we died with Christ and now we've been resurrected with him by putting our faith in him. We were slaves. We are slaves. Chained to our reputations and afraid that someone might see the weaknesses that we know lie within. We're slaves chained to this idea that we can rid ourselves from our human limitations and become godlike in our accomplishments. And most of us, because we misunderstand the Sabbath, misunderstand what Jesus accomplished for us, we spend seven days of week living our lives as a part of a meritocracy. A meritocracy is a kingdom that's built upon merit. The good achieve greatness. You get what you earn. Your success is up to you. And a meritocracy creates people who are obsessed over their merits and they can rarely ever stop keeping score. Am I pretty enough? Am I smart enough? Am I successful enough? Am I compassionate enough? Am I holy enough? See, we constantly measure ourselves and compare ourselves to others, and all this does is to make us more and more restless. This is that work under the work. And sadly, so many people think that this is the Christian life. And if if you are a Christian and you're living this life, You're selling a false gospel. You're displaying a false gospel to the world that basically says, come follow Jesus and you can be exhausted and stressed out and anxious like me. It's a false gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings rest. It brings Sabbath. Our Savior is called the Lord of rest, the Lord of the Sabbath. You are working so hard to prove to somebody that you're good enough. It might be your parents. It might be your boss. It might be yourself. It might be God, your idea of God. You might not even know why you are so relentlessly focused and driven. Think about it this way. You're like a lawyer who's defending himself and he's constantly trying to build his own case for why he is good and why he should be accepted and why he's not guilty and why he's trying to earn it all the time. 
constantly working, constantly building a case, trying to prove to somebody or something that he's good enough. But what does a lawyer do after he has presented all of his evidence? You know what he does? They say, the people rest, your honor. He's saying, I've presented the evidence. It's all I've got. The people rest. My case is over. I'm not going to prove myself any longer. I rest. Now listen, this is why we can't rest. This is why it's so hard for you to take criticism because you haven't rest your case. You are still in the midst of the courtroom trying to prove to the jury or prove to the judge that you're good enough, that you're smart enough, that you're successful enough, that you're somebody. And so you can't say, we rest, I rest my case because there's always another accomplishment that you want to throw on the pile to prove that you're good. Can I say to this, can I say to you this morning, To live like this is to reject the Lord of the Sabbath. To live like this is to reject Jesus. The gospel, that word gospel means good news because it is. It's not come, all you heavy laden. I think you can carry a little bit more. Come, you burdened with all your problems and all your troubles. I'm going to strengthen you, and I think you can, you can suck it up and go another mile or two. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Come, all you heavy laden. Come, all you tired and weary, and I will give you rest. He goes on to say, I will give you rest for your souls. How does he do that? He does that through this message of the gospel. The good news is this. All the work needed to repair our relationship with God, all the work needed to repair our relationship with God has already been done. Jesus obeyed God perfectly for us. He earned our righteousness can you just think about that? You're a lawyer trying to prove yourself and to accept Jesus means to sit down and stop being a lawyer. Sit down and let Jesus stand up in your place and argue your position for you. And Jesus stands up in the courtroom and he stands before God and he says, do you see my perfect righteousness? And God says, absolutely, you obeyed me perfectly. You never broke a commandment. You did everything good, right, and perfect. You were absolutely perfect. And Jesus says, let my righteousness be counted for that guy right there or gal right there, right? And the wise, humble, restful Christian goes, yeah, do that. We don't say, well, hold on, hold on. I think I can add a little bit to that. We don't want to stand up and, and argue our case. We want to rest our case on Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus. 
That means only in Jesus. Listen, if you live your life this courtroom, that's a rejection of Jesus. You're putting your faith in your own works, your own obedience, and we're saying, take your faith off yourself and put it in Jesus Christ. The Lord of the Sabbath, who gives rest for your soul, no more proving yourself. You can accept criticism without getting angry and trying to justify and trying to argue and trying to get feisty. I have nothing to prove. My soul is at rest because it rests in the righteousness of Christ. He lived for me. He died for me. He rose for me. He imputed his righteousness to me, and now I walk in newness of life filled by the Holy Spirit. I can be at rest, and I can worship God rightly. Listen, that's why we come in here every Sunday morning. That's what worship is all about. At the heart of worship is rest. Hear this. Stopping from all work. You've been living, you've been proving yourself. I get it, out there. I'm a good mom, I'm a good dad, I'm a good boss, I'm a good employee. You step through these doors and you're reminded right away, stop it. We don't need none of that. You don't need to put on the facade. You don't need to play the game. You don't need to act a certain way. Stop it. Rest from your work. Rest from the work under the work. You're also called to rest from your worry. Worry. You're laboring, trying to figure it out. You're trying to be God. You're trying to solve it. To believe the gospel is, and to worship rightly is to rest from your worry. It's to rest from your scheming. It's to rest from your self-medicating. It's to rest from your performance-based living, to stand in awe and be grateful to God for the work of Jesus that he has done to set us free. There can be no true worship without rest. And you know it. If you come in and you're in that anxious spot in your soul, you're wanting to go to your phone, you're wanting, you know, how long is he going to be? How long is this thing going to take? There's no true worship without rest. And this is why we keep a Sabbath day on Sunday. Now it's a little different. Tell you the civil, you break, you broke the civil rule of the of the Lord's Sabbath, and you got killed for it. Okay, so we don't enforce that, right? We don't do that. That's that was for ancient Israel to form this certain nation. It's not how we. Jesus has transformed the Sabbath. We keep a Sabbath day to keep a Sabbath heart by keeping a day specifically devoted to the Lord and his people and his gospel, we are reminded 52 times a year that we will never ever achieve our way into rest. Only Jesus can give us soul rest. Jesus can make us lay our constant striving down knowing that he has performed perfectly on our behalf. And I'll tell you, there's, you feel a weight come off. 
I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to convince these people that my marriage is awesome when it's not. I don't have to convince these people that I'm great with money when I'm not. I don't have to convince these people that I know the Bible when I don't. I don't have to convince these people that I, whatever, all this striving, all of this effort, all of this laboring in Christ, it's over. He frees us from it. This is why he says on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the grace of a Sabbath. A day that looks different than the other days of our week. A day where we gather together as your people, where we hear your gospel preached and proclaimed and we sing about it and we worship you. A day where we pull out of the rat race and we remind ourselves of the work Jesus has done to bring us into the family. That our salvation is all grace. And for those of us, Father, who struggle with this idolatry of work, we struggle with finding our identity through our achievements, would you give us rest today? Would you apply the balm of the gospel? And God, bring the circumstances, bring the situations into our life, the hard, sanctifying circumstances that pry our hands off of these idols. It's not okay to worship our jobs, to worship our performance while we're trying to worship Jesus. God, help us experience this rest so the world can see people who are at rest, who know soul rest, who knows what it's like to be at peace with God, to at peace with themselves, at peace with one another. We cannot do this on our own. So I pray that we would cling to the work of Jesus that's been done on our behalf as you teach us to Sabbath. Jesus, you are our rest. And we worship you this morning as we come to the table I pray that we would turn from our sin anew, afresh, and we would put our faith in the body and the blood that was shed on our behalf, the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus. Father, we worship you for being a good God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.